I'm sure it was Abraham Lincoln who said, the problem with quotes found on the internet is that they are often not true. Welcome to PS Talks, the fake news edition. I'm Philip Brown. And I'm Stephanie Panu, and this is PS Talks Co-op, the new podcast and talk show for management co-op students at U of T Scarborough. good today. How do you feel, Stephanie? I feel good. It's Friday. Just looking forward to the weekend, and we have a great host on the show today, so very excited about that. Well, who's on the show? We have Mariana. Maybe she can do a little introduction. I'm Mariana Jardine, J-A-R-D-I-M, as in Mary, and I'm the liaison librarian for management, econ, computer science, math, and stats. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I know that Stephanie has some experience working in libraries. Since I was 15, I worked in a public library, so a little bit different than working in an academic library. But I think a common thing, at least that I've experienced, is people don't really know what a librarian is. So maybe you can kind of bust those stereotypes and let everyone know what a librarian actually does, especially in an academic setting. I'd be happy to. So unlike common belief, our job is not only to, you know, put books away and shush people when they want to talk in the library. (laughs) We do a lot more than that. My actual title in the library is liaison librarian. And basically what that means is that I serve as a, a communication bridge between the department and the library. So I'm dedicated to management and as I mentioned also CMS, computer science, math and stats. And then my role is to provide my expertise and my support for teaching, learning and research. So another way you can also think of what I do is if you look at me as a link between the people and the information they need. So when you hear liaison, hopefully that will help you remember that we are a link that connects people to information. Of course, the people in this case are management students, faculty, staff, alumni. They can also be members of the community. We often work with entrepreneurs as well. And the information that I help them access can come from lots of different places, lots of different sources. So, you know, it could be a website, it could be research that's been published in a journal. And increasingly, I get a lot of requests for numerical information like statistics, raw data. Sometimes people need the actual data set that can act as evidence for or against a particular claim that they're exploring. And then, of course, it's also part of my role to teach students and our academic community how to find all of this information, this research and data. And then I help them evaluate the quality of what they find in order to determine whether they should use it, incorporate it into their work. And often what we find is great, but sometimes we come across, let's say, non-factual information or misinformation. That was a lot to unpack, Mariana. I want to tell the listeners out there a couple of things. Can you confirm that you're not wearing horn rim glasses? <laughs> I am not. And that my hair is not in a bun either. blowing out the myths what libraries do today what's the consequence of misinformation and fake news how would you describe what misinformation is yeah so sometimes those terms are used to describe the same thing but they're actually not the same thing misinformation basically means that something is false so it's false information although perhaps the intention behind sharing it or spreading it was not to mislead someone so it can be spread unintentionally. 
Whereas fake news is different because it's deliberate. So the purpose of fake news is actually to give off the impression that it's real news or mainstream news and its creators really like to make it look like and sound like it could be real news. So it can be hard to discern between the two. They are similar, but they're not exactly the same thing. And even within fake news, there are many, many different kinds. Some fake news are just misleading. So an example of that would be, let's say, a headline of an article that doesn't actually match the content of the article. And of course, the purpose there is to get you to click on it right? Because it's usually very sensationalistic. And then there is something that falls in this category that if interpreted correctly is actually not harmful. So that could be something like satire. Satire is not purporting to be true in the literal sense, but it uses language that is very, very clearly humorous, which could include false information. We're starting to distinguish some of the different kinds of fake news. But for the most part, when you hear fake news, I think what we're referring to is just information that's been intentionally created to harm people. So it's meant to be deceitful, but at first glance, they look like real news. It must be so difficult to distinguish between those. But at first glance, if you're seeing something and it looks like it's real news, sometimes you read a headline and then you don't go past the headline. You kind of just see it. Let's say you're browsing on Twitter, or you're browsing on Facebook or wherever you are getting your news and you just see that headline and you take it at its word. How is that dangerous? I'll give an example right now. There are really important issues in the world where spreading bad information can lead others to do things that cause harm. So this could be you know, commentary on the economy. It could be commentary about certain groups of people. It could be stereotypes. And right now, what we're living through, the pandemic, it could be opinions on something like COVID-19. With COVID-19, some people have believed misinformation, for instance, about potential cures. And unfortunately, they've died as a result because they believe that. So we play a role in that. We have to make sure that we're not spreading misinformation because it can have real consequences for real people. But even when misinformation isn't physically dangerous, it kind of adds clutter. I think of it as clutter. And that just makes it really hard to get to the facts. What students really need to think about is that they're not contributing to that clutter. They're not contributing to the sharing of fake news. So some of the things that they can do is they should be verifying their sources of information. They should be looking for good quality information and evaluating the information that they find with a very critical eye. And here in the management department, not only my sessions, but you know everything that faculty and our instructors are teaching our students, I think are with that end goal is to develop critical analysis and that critical perspective. But moreover, I think students really need to ensure that they're not sharing things on social media without first verifying them. It's preferable to share from credible news sources or academic sources rather than, let's say, like your aunties and uncles WhatsApp group. Trust me, I get a lot of those messages from <laughs> family all over the world, and you got to do your best to correct any incorrect information when you see it. Over the last few years, I've noticed there's been a rise of misinformation and fake news throughout the internet. Any ideas what's contributing to this rise in this misinformation? Disclaimer, this is my opinion, you know, just sort of my impression. I think what we are seeing is that there's a lot of money to be made from fake news. I think in some ways people want proof that the way that they view the world 
is the right way to view the world. And that desire feeds and pays for these sites, allowing them to remain active and to thrive. So it's a bit of a chain reaction. And as they say, the first casualty of war is truth. And when there are core ideological differences at play, I think that can certainly feel like a war in some ways, a war of words. We've certainly seen cases in the last few years where factual information was obscured or distorted in the hopes of damaging specific politicians or parties, you know, or entire countries. One great authoritative source on this is Jeffrey Dvorkin, who is the director of the journalism program at UTSC. He talks about how a journalist used to be able to trust that people were telling the truth. They could then report that out to the public with some certainty. So people looked for truth in the news, and it was a well-respected source. But now we have more information, and the information is delivered to customers way more quickly than it used to be before. So that means we have to be more skeptical as a result. We just didn't grow our toolkit of identifying fake news as quickly as the fake news was able to spread. While getting our news digitally is really convenient, I think it overwhelms people as well because there's just too much of it. I mean, I've certainly felt it. This can really cause some people to not want to look at the news at all, but instead just look at those sites that they find are more agreeable. And usually those are sites that confirm their personal biases, their existing biases about the world. And I'm sure it creates a little bit of a sense of anxiety too. At least I felt that when you're getting an overload of information and you don't know you know, what to think about it. Yeah, you kind of go towards that one where it's like, oh, this feels safe, this feels okay. What would be, I guess, some sort of tip to curb that anxiety, that overwhelming feeling of where do I get the right information from? I know obviously the library is a great source for that, but how does someone start? That's a great question because yeah, we do have a lot of wonderful and useful resources at the library. These resources are available to our students and to the entire learning community. Essentially, I can summarize it as anyone with a UTOR ID. Some examples of how the library can help include, you know, newspapers. And we actually have newspaper guides that orient students to what we have available in terms of newspapers. So that can help make it less overwhelming. Our newspapers are free. As part of the learning community, you all have access to this for free. And they include national and international newspapers that you would be accessing through the database. Another great tool is encyclopedias, also dictionaries. That kind of tool really helps you become acquainted with the jargon of a discipline or a topic, right? So jargon is, for those who are not familiar with the word, is specialized language. So by empowering yourself with that specialized language, by learning more and taking really like a deep dive into a topic with those authoritative sources, you are now, you're now at the helm. You can decide, oh, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. I don't think this person knows what they're talking about, right? So you can start to discern for yourself. That's part of developing that critical lens, right? So we have access to, you know, encyclopedias, dictionaries, newspapers, as I mentioned, but also some of the top business journals in the world. And we cover areas such as accounting, finance, organizational behavior, entrepreneurship, management, marketing, you name it, we probably have it. And if we don't have it, we can get it for you. You can find all of these on the library website. And of course, as the liaison librarian, I'm your go-to person to help you find those resources. So if that's also overwhelming for you, maybe going to the library website and you're not really sure what to do next, you can come to me and I can help you find those resources. 
also seen in your classes sometimes, doing an instructional session, teaching that exactly. Or if I haven't come to your class yet, you can just email me, you can request a one-on-one, -on -one, or sometimes students will do like a group consultation because they're working on a project together, and then I can help them that way. And of course, my colleagues at the bridge, the main UTSC library also can help you connect to these resources and other library services. Thank you for saying that because I think, you know, as a student, I might think that the library is just there because I'm working on a project or I need one specific thing to write a paper or something. But essentially what you're telling me is that the library is here for everyone and the resources are here for everyone because at the end of the day, it's there to educate and librarians mm -hmm. want to be here to just help you no matter what you're looking for, I guess. You don't have to go there specifically with one question. You can even just go in to the library or virtually make an appointment with just a thought in your mind. So thank you for letting us know and reminding us what a great resource the library is. You know what's exciting too, Marianne, that many of our students are involved in working degree learning, job search, whether they're being co-op. Why is it important to know what credible sources are when you're preparing for an interview? I actually go into the co-op preparatory courses, so the ACE classes. We have some amazing business research resources that can help students prepare for interviews so that you don't have an experience of a student talking about, I don't trust this very authoritative source. I, I would rather go to InfoWars or something like that. And so that's part of my job is to come in and to educate students on that. For instance, the session that I did last week, I talked about two databases that students can go to. One to search about industry information for the industry that they hope they'll be situated in once they're through the co-op hiring process. But then I also talked to them about how important it was to read the news because when those reports are compiled, they don't contain information about what happened yesterday. You do have to go to a new source and you want to be able to, again, feel empowered and confident going into that interview, knowing that you have the most current information about the industry and about the company. So that means that you have to look at news when you're preparing, or it's going to be very obvious to the employer that you're just not aware of all the issues at hand with that particular employer or job. So I think for that, because they have to go to news sources, what I would like to students to think about is first think about what do those misinformation news sources look like? What might they sound like also if they're listening to it on TV? in comparison to more credible news. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that and give you some tips that can help you as a student figure that out. So the first kind of giveaway is that fake news often come from sources that have no about page or no contact information or very little contact information or usually no information either about the mission of the website or that news source in quotation marks. And sometimes fake news are just older stories that have been republished in the present day without any contextualization of the content or without acknowledging that it was previously published. So it could look like an older article taken out of context. So it's good to check whether the same or similar story was previously published under different circumstances. So that would still count as fake news, right? Fake news might also sound like really shocking or like scandalous tidbits or headlines, it's trying to get you to click on it by appealing to your emotions. And sometimes, but not always, the domain name can also be an instant giveaway. So if you see a domain name that looks strange to you, for example, the URL could be something something.com, 
www.ghostbusters.co. That's usually a giveaway. It's probably a questionable source. And also the other thing I would say is that fake news don't usually cite their sources. So in the body of the article, you very rarely see a citation or, you know, this is where we got this information from. This is where the data came from. But this isn't always the case. So sometimes the sources are made up, but they're formatted, worded, and integrated into the content of the story in a way that seems believable. So those are the really tricky ones, and you just have to get into the habit of checking those sources. So those are some tips that I hope will help students in kind of figuring out what is real and what isn't real news. I've learned so much and just so much to digest, Marianne. We've got some tips for students checking the domain. Check your URL, your URL. <laughs> Look for the history of those cooperating sources. That's a key thing for me. If there are only one site saying this and it's not backed up anywhere else, you've got to be careful. I can tell you, Marianna, this is based on a true story, what I'm saying next. We've heard feedback from some managers who've interviewed students and when students have told them where they got their new sources, it kind of ruled them out for the position that they're going for. So there are some consequences and they may not come back to you and say that, but uh, if you're not doing scholarly research, it may rule you out for those jobs. Marianna, do you have something else you'd like to add? I think there is one, like one little piece I'm probably missing or that I haven't touched on yet. And that is when I talked about having a critical lens or having a critical perspective. Because I know it's easy to say, well, you know, we want students to develop a critical analysis skills. What does that actually mean to the student, right? Like, what does this all mean? So I want to tell you guys about some tools that we have at our disposal. So some structured ways of being analytical. When you are looking at scholarly research, you can look for whether a research source is peer-reviewed or not peer-reviewed, okay? So peer review means that a community of experts has reviewed the content. They have edited it and they've given feedback to the creators of that content on how to improve it. By connecting with that community, experts can greatly increase their chance of producing works that are factual, that are accurate although peer review does not guarantee this. It is an indicator of higher quality research. You can look for that little checkbox or tag or link that says see peer reviewed only. So that's one way that's pretty straightforward. Again, when we're talking about research sources. Now there is another way that, like I said, is more nuanced and that applies to news sources as well as research sources. These are critical questions that you can ask yourself anytime that you encounter any type of information, like I said, whether it's a news source or a data set or something else. One is called RADAR, R-A-D-A-R, and the other one is called CRAP, believe it or not, C-R-A-A-P, so two A's. It's supposed to act as a reminder, I think, of what you do not want to produce. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Hold yourself to a higher standard with radar and crap. <laughs> I'll be better than crap. You know, that's our goal for the whole podcast, actually. I think these are catchy names. So radar stands for rationale, authority, date, accuracy, and relevance. And crap, like I said, is similar. Currency, relevance, authority, accuracy, and purpose. So like there's overlap there, right? The purpose is pretty much the same. Questions you should ask yourselves, right? That these are prompts for you to ask things like, why did the author create this piece of information? Is it possible that the author is biased? Does the author present alternative perspectives in their treatment of the subject matter? And this is a really important one. 
what is the author's credentials? Are they actually qualified to speak on or write about this topic? Is the information presented obsolete? Remember I said you can change dates on articles and present it like it's new. Or does it represent ways of thinking that have been discredited or reviewed by more current research or analysis? Does the information come from a trusted source? Is it riddled with hyperbole, exaggerations? Those are all really critical questions that you can ask yourself. And that's actually will lead you to be a more critical thinker. That's what we're talking about when we talk about critical thinking skills. Now, of course, you may have to do further digging to find out the answers to many of these questions, right? You can do that on your own, or of course, you can come to me and I can help. Here's another tip too. You can make use of your class notes, your professor's slides, your textbooks, and like I mentioned, encyclopedias, research guides that the library makes available to you. And as you acquaint yourself with these legitimate authoritative materials, you'll become more acquainted with the, that specialized language of the field. So you know what it sounds like. And it'll be easier for you to sort of pinpoint the phonies, those who are not authorities on your topic. And I don't know if you guys would like me to talk about images as well, because there is a lot of fake news that spread through images. Yeah, let's hear a little bit I'd about those images, that. because I want to hear a little bit about, can I believe what I see, Mariana? Yeah, so I mean, this goes back to the WhatsApp group. Are you guys on WhatsApp groups? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> okay. So, You're you know. a cop. <laughs> More on that later, actually. It's interesting you say that. <laughs> I'll tell you about the double life I'm living. Things you didn't know about your liaison librarian. The WhatsApp groups or any of those like little family or friend groups, it could be on any platform, right? I have family in different parts of the world. You know, I wasn't born in Canada. So I get this from all corners of the world in multiple languages. And I spend a considerable amount of time trying to figure out what's true and what's not true. And for me, it just happens to be on WhatsApp. So a lot of that information comes through images. It's really hard with the image because we don't all have the skill set to determine whether an image is fake. So again, I'm going to give you some tips that will help you sort of investigate these images. So a couple of tools. So one of them is called TinEye. So T-I-N-E-Y-E. TinEye. And there's also another one that you probably are aware of already, Google Reverse Image Search. And these are tools that you can use to find out more about an image and when it was used and when it became part of like, let's say the news cycle or a website somewhere. And in some cases, you can use these tools to determine its first online appearance. So again, that's all sort of evidence that you can use toward figuring out whether something was doctored or rearranged in some way. And then there's another great tool called Photo Forensics. So this is photo with an F, Photo Forensics. And on that site, you can check if an image has been altered. And of course, you can just do like a regular search with your favorite search tool like Google or something else to just look for the topic. Or you can also check like a fact-checking site like snopes.com to try and learn more about the image or the topic as well. So those are three tools you can use. And I mean, there are endless other tools. Those are just some ideas. But do you guys now want to hear about my double life? Yes, I'm very interested. Yeah. My favorite aspects of being a librarian is that sometimes I get to play detective. So I really enjoy going down these rabbit holes of information until I know that I've reached the truth or something like it, or at least that I know I'm much closer to the truth. So my family knows this about me too. So to this day, my younger brothers and all their friends whom I've known since we were teenagers, 
they are convinced that my librarian job is actually a cover-up for my <laughs> real job, which is, of course, that of a spy for some super covert operation or something like that. So anyways, my point is, if you become a librarian, you can impress your friends with your sleuthing skills and you can sort of live this imaginary double life. I don't think it's so imaginary right, now. I feel like I'm on board with this. I feel like I, I'm with your brother and their friends. And maybe we could put out your email address if you feel comfortable putting it up. Yes. Yeah, so it's M-A-R-I-A-N-A -A -A dot J-A-R-D-I-M as in Mary at utoronto.ca. Well, thank you so much. I've learned a considerable amount today and I hope that listeners have learned with me also. This has been Philip Brown. And I'm Stephanie Panu. Thanks for listening. This episode of PS Talks Co-op was produced by Ananya Kowakalu with editing also by Ananya. Special thanks to the entire management co-op department and especially to Philip Brown, Stephanie Panu, and Mariana Jardim. Okay, students, don't forget that next Friday, March 19th, it's Management Casino Royale, the virtual Mesa Gala, where management students and the department come together and celebrate your success. There's our annual award ceremony, live music, over $1,000 in prizes, and even an escape room. You don't want to miss this. Tickets are only $5, and you'll even get a complimentary $15 Skip the Dishes gift card for attending. RSVP by March 15th. Visit Mesa at UTSC on Instagram for the link to book your tickets now.